Welcome back, everybody, to the Game of Thrones Flashcast. I'm Jason Snell. I'm back. I was gone for two weeks. Uh, fortunately, there were many wonderful people who kept things going while I was gone, including, of course, Monty Ashley. Hello. Hi, Jason, and welcome back to you. Thank you. And Brian Hamilton. Hello. We are a group of people who do not like one another. <laughs> hey, that's an off-podcast discussion. <laughs> and this and this is our last episode of the season. That was fast. He needs to know. We need to tell him that this is the last episode. He needs to know. Uh, guess what? I'm going to go through this episode chronologically. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best way to do it. Even though I could, I could separate Winterfell. I mean, Winterfell. Maybe we should just do all the Winterfell stuff together, right? Like the Winterfell stuff doesn't really connect to the other stuff, really. Directly. Winterfell has my favorite scene in it, so I'd be happy to get to it. Let's. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I am everybody. You are listening to to your host make the decision now on the fly to go back to the traditional way of breaking out stories that don't intersect and talking about them individually. Um, for one last time, you won't have to hear me do this until, uh, like, I don't know when. When's it coming? We'll talk about that at the end. Let's begin the dragon and the wolf discussion. <laughs> I know not 10 episodes. It felt, you know, it was only seven. Where the other three episodes go? I don't know. They, they're, they're not here. Dragon and the Wolf. We start in Winterfell. How about that? Huh? <laughs> Let's start now in Winterfell. Now the bassoon represents the dragon. Hmm. Peter and the Wolf reference. Yes, yes very nice. <laughs> um, uh, so in Winterfell, there are three big scenes set in Winterfell. Um, and the first one is Sansa and Littlefinger talking and this is the little finger winds up sansa and tries to make her as paranoid as possible so the classic little finger he he can he seems to convince her that sansa is here to kill her which i personally didn't buy because wouldn't she just be dead yeah sansa doesn't know that and we know that so we can be like well Arya would just kill anybody she wants but here she is trying to reject the idea that her sister would kill her i i have lots of thoughts about paranoia that we'll get to later but it mm. seems like paranoia is the order of the hour when it comes to uh king's landing people trying to get things done and in this case it doesn't work which i think is really great so after this scene um we had a couple of interruptions while we were watching this huge like hour and 20 minute long episode much longer than usual game of thrones episode um although get used to it because apparently all the episodes next season are going to be this long or longer Woo-hoo! I- i'm fine with it i'm i'm fine with it um but we had some interruptions and at one point when we were coming back from an interruption where my daughter was going somewhere and the phone rang and there's stuff going on um i forgot which one but i said to my wife i don't think i don't believe that sansa and Arya are this stupid. That's what I said to her. I said, I, I hope, because I didn't know, I said, I hope this is a setup so that there's a twist and they're, 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 uh, they're going to stick it to Littlefinger. Because I don't, if, this, if they really, the show really wants us to believe that they're this dumb and this um, manipulable by Littlefinger, then the show has really let me down. Because I don't think that the characterizations of Sansa and Arya uh can can be justified 
you know, the whole the whole years of seeing them grow and progress to get to this point, to have Littlefinger just keep playing his little games and have them suddenly turn on each other. And of course, the very next scene, she walks, uh, you know, send for my sister. They bring Arya into the Great Hall and and then uh, Sansa starts reading like charges. And I think oh, those are, those are Littlefinger's charges, aren't they? And they totally are. And then I was yes. like, all right, you did it. You did it, show. You did the right move. That was exactly I, the right move. I was not that confident, but I was saying it would be so great if she just turned and stuck it to Littlefinger <laughs> instead. And then she did. And I just had the <laughs> biggest smile on my face the whole rest of the scene. And if you, I, you have the phrase litany of charges, this was a litany <laughs> of charges. <laughs> I remember a few weeks ago, I was complaining about uh, Sansa keeping Littlefinger around, and this is why. Like, they, <laughs> I, I was concerned about the show, uh, like, in a meta sense, I was concerned about the show keeping him around because of how Sansa's been treated this whole time, and how Littlefinger has always been this person that's lurking in the shadows doing terrible things. But this scene was worth that annoyance and anger the entire rest of the season this payoff was so good yeah and he so many times just in that scene he thought he was safe like <laughs> nobody saw me do anything oh it turns out bron sees every sees all and he's going to start being useful now thanks bron yeah no okay, he, yeah, the Bran one time he's omniscient now he remembers no he's he's come through the other side he's obviously re- fully regenerated now he says yeah. i remember everything it's like all right he's back he, he's got it all together now and he sees everything and and you see Littlefinger playing i mean because again the guy is just a consummate uh liar professional manipulator right all these things he's working every possible angle because he knows like he's dead if he can't work (laughs) his way through this so he will say anything and do anything and that's the beauty of the scene right is that he's taught her too well they are not he can't play that game anymore with them and he thinks he can and that you know the world has moved on that game that he was playing before it won't work on them now and it's beautiful Sansa did not forget him selling her to the Boltons. No. Did he think he was that she was going to? I think he th- he thought he could he that she was still um controllable by him. I I I, I really think he did. Um although we could ask does, is that is that realistic or not? I mean my my frustration goes I suppose just as I'm giving credit for the show um turning out to not have them be as dumb as they are it's like did Littlefinger, um you know what what was he thinking here it's it feels a little bit like an overreach um he yeah uh, i can answer that he consistently is underestimating all of the stark children he he didn't he certainly doesn't think that Arya is the cold-blooded sociopathic murderer she is now i don't think he understood that sansa is as good at seeing what's going on around her and he never really came to grips with bran being completely omniscient right so with all of those three allied against him he didn't have a chance i feel like part of it is because the fact that Arya has been gone for so long and she finally comes back into their lives at winterfell at the beginning of this season the fact that she fell so easily and so hard for his first manipulation he did to them with the uh with the raven that he planted i feel like that was enough fuel for his fire conversely i think that was also fuel for sansa to start questioning why uh why littlefinger was there at all she realized like as we see in the scene she realized that that Littlefinger is pitting them against each other. And I love that 
Arya freaking out and threatening her uh, last episode with uh, all I need is your face and I'll be the lady of Winterfell. I love that that was uh, the tipping point for Sansa to realize, oh, this is probably something really weird going on. And then the first scene this episode, uh, she wants to become the lady of Winterfell. Like, okay, okay, this is going too far. Let's get rid of you. Yeah, I think we have to read that scene from last week as being like the first half of a conversation that we didn't see the second half of. I feel like that's the scene where, where what's happening is Arya is playing what she has sussed out that they are being manipulated into doing. And then she turns the knife around and hands it to, to Sansa. And I, I assume that as soon as that, is done and we cut away to some other location that they're like this is totally Littlefinger okay here's what we're gonna do <laughs> like well, th- th- they figure I, it out I think they do that and also they start talking about how great uh, Lady Mormont is sure why not <laughs> because I they mentioned her in that conversation that. Mm-hmm. In that conversation they said do you think Lady Mormont would be impressed and I really felt like that would be a good time for them to drop their official roles and just say have you really awesome. talked to her I love her <laughs> I'm sure they did that I'm sure yeah. I, I hit canon accepted. So something else that happens in here, and, and, and um, jumping over another scene that happens in Winterfell that we'll get to in a little bit, um, and and we can talk about some of the other things that happen with with Baelish too. But I wanted to say Ned Stark. Ned Stark is prominently featured in this episode. I felt like thematically, especially the producers really wanted to bring home that the the surviving children of Ned Stark. And and even Theon gets a reference, as we'll get to, when Theon and Jon have a moment. They talk about Ned, too. But uh, Sansa and Arya have that conversation, too, about their father and the wise things that he said. And I I, I really like that, that that's the, you know, Ned Stark in the first season isn't just a head fake for plot reasons that makes you shocked that he dies, right? He is the heart and soul and conscience. And yeah, he, he takes it. He, he it leads him to a bad place right but his children are his legacy and we see here in this moment as winter is coming and the dead are coming that the you know the lone wolf dies but the pack survives the whole thing that, <laughs> that, that the stuff that he taught them matters and i really liked that that ned kind of came back into the 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 yeah. conversation here as we're on the precipice of the last season of the show sansa said uh uh Sansa said that I'm a slow learner, but I learn. And she's learning all these lessons and regurgitating them Mm -hmm. in this episode, and I love it. There's also the fact that it's so rare that a show can do the kind of payoff that they did here where two sisters can say, I'm his father, me too. And that's important in and of itself and has weight in and of itself. But the fact that six years ago, we got to know that father really, really yeah, well. We all miss <laughs> we all miss him kind of right and remember him and remember the things he tried to teach his children. Like, although they didn't they didn't point out it's like, well, I guess it, it is it is an unstated reference where I was the executioner, but you passed the sentence. It's like, well, didn't mm-hmm. Ned tell you that? You, yeah, <laughs> you should have done that, that f- yourself. <laughs> The first <laughs> the scene of the series yeah, was right? him trying to say, you should hold the blade yourself. But on but, the other hand, Arya's so good at killing people. And I really liked when she executed Littlefinger, not just because, man, that's overdue, but also uh-huh. <laughs> her complete lack of drama or hesitation. Just, 
we done? Great. Slice she's, your dead she's, next. She's businesslike. It's like in the easiest way possible. And yeah, no, I think the implication of it is that they're working as a team. And so yeah. they are passing judgment and then and then uh, executing the, the, the person like their father taught them. And it was a it was a tag team, but it wasn't like one person was removed from it. Sansa's right there watching it as Arya executes the sentence. They're a team working together yeah. on this. So father would approve, I suspect, his daughter's. Well, killing this dude who betrayed I was him. very happy to see them work together and one message one lesson Littlefinger really should have learned that we borne out in the rest of the episode is it's not that easy to get a sibling to kill another sibling yep good point it's hard it's it's hard that that is a that's a nice theme actually of the siblings at each other's throats that that is is here <laughs> Um, I liked uh, I liked Arya's oh. line. I was never going to be as good a lady as you because it's like that. Mm-hmm. That's that is. In fact, I think that's the silliest thing about Littlefinger's little <laughs> paranoia scheme. Yeah, is like Arya doesn't want to be the Lady of Winterfell. She's never wanted that. She's not qualified for it. She wouldn't want to do it. She would have to cut somebody else's face off and stick it on someone else and say, "You <laughs> pretend to be the lady. I'm out of here." Because she's she's no interest in that. Come on. I think that hey, was Jason. a mistake. Yeah. You said we have siblings at each other's throats. We have other relations at other body parts. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Save it. Save it. Save it. Uh, um, one more thing about Peter Baelish. It makes less sense I... the farther I get away from the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yes, Brian. My favorite thing about uh, Littlefinger's death was when uh, he he goes, "I am the Lord Protectorate of the Vale. You will protect me." Like the <laughs> fact that his last resort has to be, "Nope, I'm invoking my title. You do what I say." And they go, "Take nope. me out of here." I yeah. loved it. Well, we I just mean, covered how many of the Vale's rulers you personally killed, yeah. idiot. Well, that was the, that was the brilliance of it, and, uh, and that was always his. I think his get out of jail free card was like, "Well, I, we saved the day, and I got my guys here too, and they'll take me away." But. Um, because of Bran's knowledge, right? They, and that was just a beautiful scene because that's, we're going to list off so many things about the backstory of this show got answered clearly in this episode. So with a litany of crimes that Littlefinger committed, that was great. It's like you, you pushed, you pushed the lady out the moon door. Uh, you killed John Aaron. And and uh, and blame somebody else for it. You you know you <laughs> you, you personally orchestrated the plan to imprison and execute Ned Stark. Yeah, and you set up the whole Stark Lannister fight to begin with. The entire series is your fault, yeah. and we all know it. <laughs> yeah, and then the other piece of this, of course, is in Bran's vision, which uh, which happens later, and we'll get to a little bit later, where he explains that the entire premise of Robert's rebellion is a lie <laughs> oops yeah and there, there's a lot of that too which is what why did why did all of this bloodshed happen why are all the different kings why all the rebellion you know it, it, it's it's both of these things the overthrowing of the targaryens and then everything that happened with uh robert baratheon this whole mess is uh, you know, it's a fraud. It's all made up by people who were trying to get power for themselves. And like Littlefinger, you know, thrives on the chaos. You know, chaos would let him climb the ladder and, you know, and it didn't matter how many people paid for it. So, yeah, he's he's so th- they get all that stuff out, including his crimes against the veil. 
Um, I love that these revelations are good. happening now because if the if we had known at the beginning of the series that all of this was kind of a lie and orchestrated by one person uh, in a few different ways in both the uh, Targaryen John way and in the Littlefinger way, if we had known those at the beginning of the series, we wouldn't care. But the fact that this is coming at the end of season seven and we care about the characters more than we care about the plot in some ways. I truly feel like this works. Now, season eight can be all about the characters and all about the battles and not what brought us here because we know their lies now. Yeah. Yeah. The world, the world building, it feels like has, has been done. Like we got all the pieces now. You, there are no unanswered questions, really, I'd say, that are particularly important about no, the no. historical context of what we see from the first frame of the first episode of the show. Like now we understand so much more about Robert's Rebellion and about the overthrowing of the Targaryens and what goes on and the missing pieces have all kind of been found and filled in and we cannot worry about that anymore, which is nice. There's, also, so much a, of this is understood by fans already. So to have the yeah. show just like lay it in there like, <laughs> all right, it's not subtext anymore. It's text. Can we move on now? I mean, we can There's get a moment the Sam Brand speech. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right. There's another moment in the episode where uh, somebody mentions the last 50 years, and I thought, wait, all of this is only in the last 50? It feels like generations and generations, the way that everyone's talking about you know, their fathers and grandfathers and fathers' fathers, and it, it, it really put into context, you're right, we're done with war, world building. That, those 50 years are all on paper and on film now, we don't right. need any more of it. Right. The Targaryen dynasty lasted a long time, and it's just this last 50 years that have been completely chaotic since they... I mean, because, I mean, if you think about it, Jaime killed the Mad King, right? He's yeah. the Kingslayer. So it's really only been in the life of Jaime Lannister that the, all of this chaos has happened since the last Targaryen king. So not that long, right? Not yeah, long the, enough for... Daenerys is the child of the Mad King. She's the youngest child of the Mad King. So it hasn't been that long. It's been, what, 20 years, maybe? That's about it. Yeah. Monty, your favorite scene was uh, Littlefinger's death? Yes. Yes, because yes, okay. <laughs> from the moment that Sansa turned and said, what is your answer to these charges? Beat, 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 Lord, Lord Baelish. Baelish. <gasps> <gasps> now, that whole scene is just running on rails. He's dead. Yeah. The audience knows there's no way he's getting out of this. He bags, he weasels, he cajoles, he tries threatening, he falls on his knees. None of it matters. He's dead anyway. Good riddance. I think it's a really good mid-sentence. It's perfect. I think it's a really good um, performance, a little last performance. Let's hear it for Aiden Gillen. Um, he, oh, he's uh, great. That moment where you look at him and he's like, uh, I, I don't understand <laughs> what you're what you're saying. It's like he understands full well, but it is it is great that he is uh, he's taken aback. And then he again, I appreciate as a professional, right? Like he is a professional. He is doing every single trick he can and he can't get out of it. But he tries. You got to give him credit because he could. I mean, the other way to go is like, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah, not Littlefinger. That. That's not Littlefinger. He's uh he's I do deny it. He says at one point he's like, "Yeah, you have yeah. no proof of that and all of that." And then the Three-Eyed Raven, I don't think Brand's Three-Eyed Raven stuff is admissible in court, but it doesn't matter because there <laughs> there's not going to be a court. <laughs> it's not admissible in our courts, but this is a world where trial by combat is a thing. That's true. That's true. Good point. That's I was surprised that uh, Bran's interjection of, oh, no, no, you said that. This is real. You did that. That they believed it. And no one was like, wait, what? Why? You? Who? 
what? Who's this kid? He just showed up. Like, I'm really he's surprised. Bran Stark. Well, they know he's, he's the son of Ned Stark. Yeah, they he's... know he's Bran Stark. So he, his statements carry weight, and he says them completely factually, right? And it's not a trial where, where like, he's not like, we're pre- please produce the documents. He's like, he's basically saying you did this, and. You know, do you deny it? And, you know, that's a pretty, it's pretty good. Again, wouldn't hold up in a court, but, it, you know, the only opinion that really matters here is Sansa's, right? And she believes him because Bran sees stuff. That's, he remembers everything as he tells Sam a little bit later. <laughs> and okay, it, you I know, concede. Who's going to complain about Littlefinger dying? Yeah, hard to, hard <laughs> to imagine. In that entire <laughs> castle, everybody's going, oh, thank God. I did not trust that guy for one second, no. did you? No, I, I have. I like to imagine that he was running a whole bunch of cons on the side too. Like he had the he had the bread bakers turned against each other mm-hmm. so that they'd each give him bread every day. Yeah. So he'd get like two and he'd get like two dinners, and everybody was like at each other's throats so that they could see who could serve Littlefinger better. Because I think that's just how he lived. It was his lifestyle. Yeah. He never rests. No. Well, he he's he is now. Ah. <laughs> he's got all the time in the world to rest now. So Bran. So Sam came back. And one of the first things he does is knock on Bran's door, uh, which leads to a wonderful scene uh, toward the end of the episode where, uh, where uh, he says, oh, you, you, uh, you remember me helping you pass the wall. And he's like, I remember everything. Uh, why is that? I am the three-eyed raven now. Okay. Um, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I like <laughs> that Sam was asking that in a way of... Could you give me more information? Because a lot of people yeah. seem to just accept Bran at face value. And like, oh, that kid came back weird. Yeah, All right, right. Time to get on with my life. That's what's great about Sam, right? Sam Sam is like, what, what does that mean exactly? Like, he wants to know. He's trying to figure He's this curious. stuff out. Yeah, that's right. He's not going to be one of those people who's left in that in that situation. Um, and he, there's also that great joke where, where he explains that John and Daenerys are coming. And he's like, oh, did you see this in one of your Three-Eyed Raven vi- fancy visions? And he's like, no, I got a raven. It's <laughs> I knew that joke was coming. I don't mind. I always love that joke. It's a great joke. Great joke. I, I like it when this series occasionally has that nice sense of humor. It's usually about the Onion Knight, but or or it's about Bronn. There's some good Bronn stuff coming too. But uh, that that was a, that was a good thing. And then we get the details here, and and by putting these two characters together, who each have these facts, we get it all wrapped up together. I did not expect to see this all wrapped up together like it did because. Bran says John needs to know the truth about himself. He's the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark. He's actually a sand. To which, to which Sam says, <laughs> but a boring but no. conclusion. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I know, right? He's John Sand. We need to change his name. Just you know, it's the same number of letters. Just whatever. It's fine. John Sand. We'll call him from now on. And, and Sam's like, no, no, no. Au contraire, mon frère. He's not because. <laughs> and this is that moment where like Gilly was reading it out loud, and everybody screamed like, well, why isn't Sam paying attention? But it turns out. It's a book he'd that Sam tra- transcribed. He he already read yeah. it. He knew that was happening. He did. He didn't care about it. And he just didn't have any reason to care at that point. Now right. he does. Now he's paying attention. Right. He says, "I transcribed a diary from the High Septon, saying that he annulled the marriage." And this is a even if you don't care in any like close plot way i think if you're a a citizen of westeros and you get this totally like unknown historical fact about this 
a huge rebellion that happened 20 years ago, you probably would pay attention. It's like, wow, so they annulled the marriage and he married Lyanna Stark. That's not the story that we that we read in the history scrolls or that the, yeah. that, the that the maesters taught us and the, and he says robert's rebellion was built on a lie uh he didn't take liana stark away and kidnap her and rape her they were in love and they got married and and what i uh, what i like is that basically sam says do your three-eyed raven thing where you go into the past and see these things to confirm that and brand's like all right and suddenly we're back in time and brand's standing there watching them get married and then finally we get to hear what liana stark whispers to ned on her deathbed which is in addition to you know take care of him ned promise me ned she says his name is egon targaryen and that's who Jon snow is boom i like that bran is now fully in command of his powers and doesn't have to mess around like, no everything's cataloged i remember the everything. film has gotten to come back from the one hour photo it's good. It's good. I like Brand is Brand is fully, you know, like I said, he's fully regenerated now. I remember yeah. everything. He's he's the catalog. I remember things that were. I like that. I remember things that are happening now. I got it all going. It's like, all right, good. 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 And people who have had this theory for ye- at least a decade in the real world, at I least. guess. At least, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Everybody was right. Everybody, it's canonical. You're totally right. The only the only great mystery was actually what John's name was because that's yeah. been one of those things like Liana told Ned the his name too and uh because thankfully uh because of Three-Eyed Raven Bran we know it now too. Um I wonder how that will affect the plot of the show going forward. We will come back to that in a little bit. But now let's rewind and move south. Why don't we? I can't imagine anything interesting happening down south. No. No. Slow episode. Uh, the uh, we start with the, this episode actually with the unsullied. They seem to have gotten out of their uh, their Casterly Rock, whatever, uh, where they were hanging out, and they are now standing outside of King's Landing along with uh, the Dothraki come through. Uh, Jamie and Braun have a conversation on top of the uh, the wall overlooking. Uh, you know, outside of the the gates of King's Landing, uh, essentially pl- saying that um, all war is about um, uh, d- dicks, basically. Sorry, cocks, <laughs> to use the uh, Game of Thrones term. And uh, there's um, both a, words are acceptable. We learned that yeah, uh, last week. That's um, true. That's true. So. Um, which I think is funny and also true. Like so much of this war posturing and all of that is about uh, men uh, proving their manlyhood. And uh, yeah. And, and it's good because Jamie's like, no, it's not. Well, maybe it is. <laughs> so many, this is arguably the most anticipated episode of television of the year. And it starts with this gorgeous shot of this giant army. We're expecting a massive showdown about whatever's going to go down. And it starts with solid two minutes of dick jokes. It feels like a Flophouse episode. It's great. Yep. Yeah, and well, and I like the I like what's underlying it too. Is it's not just dick jokes, but it's saying um, war is the biggest dick joke of all, which I think is a brilliant <laughs> little bit of commentary. I think that's Get really that great. embroidered on a pillow. <laughs> yep, thanks. Bronze bronze sleeps on that pillow. I think is the is the truth. Um, yeah, so Dothraki show up and uh and we have a uh 
Oh, let's see. So they, they, John, who has never been to King's Landing, so far as we know, certainly not in the show, seems like, why would he, um, is kind of amazed. And it's like, there are a million people crammed into that little space. And John's like, why would, because he he's a man of the North. He doesn't understand. The whole North has a million people. Uh, maybe. Not even that. <laughs> not now. Yeah, well. And, uh, hey. and uh, yeah. So, and the Hound, uh, I, I've decided that the Hound is the kind of person who would tap on a um, goldfish bowl all the time because he goes down in the hold of the ship and just like gives a pound on the zombie crate just to make sure the zombie is still moving around in there just well it's just good sense for kicks they did a very stupid thing but you want to make sure you at least still have a working zombie well the last Mm -hmm. thing you'd want to do is open that box uh right in front of uh of cersei and have it be like a dead uh, just a dead guy (laughs) be like oh you went to halloween spirit and brought me a mannequin (laughs) yeah exactly so Hey, they're all going to meet at the Dragon Arena that they used to use back in the old days. And <laughs> We've this... never mentioned it before, but nope. it's within walking distance of the Red Keep. Don't worry about it. Well, it's, you know, <laughs> this is true, and it's pretty a pretty spectacular thing. Then again, there is some logic in this. Was a, the Targaryens ruled in the city for all this time, so it's probably it probably makes sense. It's just not something we've ever seen before. Um, so this scene, I don't even know how to... There's so much in the scene, because so much of the scene is the show putting characters together who have yeah. a history mm-hmm. and there are there are some bits of dialogue uh there's a uh podrick and Tyrion have an exchange which is great um brienne and the hound have an exchange which you know she thought she killed him and here he is so that's that's great and that Arya, the Tyrion. We get the Tyrion bronze scene that I was very excited about us missing last time. Absolutely. And it's a great scene where Tyrion's like, I'll double it, getting paid. He's like, I'm doing okay. Um, but, <laughs> Looking out for myself. But I'm happy to see you. And it's a, it's a nice little thing. Oh, also, Brienne tells the Hound that Arya is alive. And that's a great thing because we know that the, the Hound and Arya traveled together and that yeah. ha- had that whole connection. And that now and that she's in ag- Winterfell, yeah. They both agree that you do not want to get in... Arya's way. <laughs> yep. Monty, you and I talked about this last week. Fan service. This was extremely fan servicey and it worked so well. Like I, it wasn't upsettingly bad or anything like that. Like you were talking about fan service being a negative thing so much. Uh, it yeah. was just a great scene. This was stuff that I as a fan wanted to see and mm-hmm. then I saw it and then I was happy. Yeah. I mean, like, we're we're Bron do- we're 67 episodes into this show. If you're still watching the show after six, if you put in 67 episodes worth, you know what? This is this is why, right? You you yeah. got to you put these characters together. You can't not have at least a moment where you say how because otherwise you leave and you're like, wait a second, Brienne and the Hound are right there, and there was nothing. They like were like, oh, hey, I see you. It's like no, you can't, you can't. So they didn't. Yeah. Good for them. I, I'm more interested in those relationships than I am in the overall sweep of who's going to win the Great War. I'm happier when I see Bronn and Pod, who have a bit of a history. Right. Bronn says, let's just go have a drink, which I think is a great idea. Get off screen before anything goes down. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> like, that's why Bronn's still alive, is he does stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Let's get out of I here. Care, I care about individual characters, and I want to see them happy, and I like seeing them interacting. 
By the end of this episode, there's stuff that sets up the eighth season that's almost entirely character-based. Yeah, we're going to have the battles. We're going to have all the big showdowns and everything, but it's all about the characters. I, I, I was listening to a podcast that compared fandom to the opiate of the people or whatever, and I resent that. I'm starting to come around to your idea, Monty, where fan service is not a bad thing. I'm a fan. I'm happy. I enjoyed this. This is a great season finale. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, but just... I agree that characters are extremely important, and I'm glad that uh, they spent time putting characters together for, what, three, four minutes of really great dialogue. Well, if we take the last two episodes, maybe the last three episodes, and you could go back further even, it seems like the model of the show very much is that there are... There, there are characters tell, that have interesting things to say to each other, and some of that is about the plot, and some of it is not, and some of it's both, and that's great. And then... In the last 20 minutes, there's a huge action set piece that blows you away. And I, I think that's what the show is, right? I think the show yeah. is, if, if people think this show is just about big armies clashing and dragons and zombies and things like that, then they're missing that whole other piece. And I don't think you'd be watching after, again, after 67 episodes, if you didn't care about who these characters are. Like, that's a huge part of what the show is. And this this episode really shows that, right? Because we have to see all of this stuff. Like, um when uh when the hound talks to Tyrion, right and he's like the lannisters screw up all of this stuff and he says yeah and the cleganes make him do you know see it through right it's like yeah. so like that the, the, it's so great because the, they built this world and now we get to see them all these characters calling each other out bouncing off of each other remembering things that have happened before there's just a, jamie and brienne pass and there's no dialogue at all they just exchange looks and it's so amazing <laughs> it's so amazing so yeah there. One of my favorite things about the very first episode, when we don't know anybody in the entire show, and there's a look between uh, Catelyn Stark and Jon Snow, and you get their entire, re- not entire relationship, you get their relationship in one glance. And I'm so glad that the rest of the show keeps that up and making looks, like even looks, so loaded. Mm. There are a couple of things that happen in this scene uh, that happen next that very much remind me of an RPG session. Uh-huh. Where <laughs> yes, the DM yes. has set up the grand moment. Yes, the kid, and here the, comes the speech. The queens and, are are opposed. <laughs> they are ready to talk. And then the guy who's playing Euron Greyjoy says, I'm gonna say something first. <laughs> yeah. And the DM says, You don't really do it. And the player says, Yes, I do. And that happens with uh Sandor Clegane saying, I walk over to go look at my brother. Yeah. And I could just yep. feel if this were an RPG, the DM going, okay, fine, do it quick. And then we're going to get back to my plot. Yeah. You know, who's coming for you. I say to him and then I step back. All right. All right. And then I, and then I, st- and then I go to get the zombie. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah so so like, you do. And like you said, Euron <laughs> was like, Hey, b- before anything else, I want to talk smack to Theon really quick. All right. I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to. I'll all allow right. it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. I like when even the characters on the show show disrespect for the plot. Yeah, well, the 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 Greyjoys, the Ironborn, you know, they are just, as I said several times during this episode, they're just smelly, dirty pirates. Like, they yeah. are uncouth, awful people, right? And so this is that moment where it's like, you know, Euron Greyjoy is really sucking up to Cersei, you know, and and, and he wants to be, you know, he wants to marry her and all of these things, but it, it doesn't change that he is a completely 
awful, uncouth, like inappropriate. <laughs> he he would right. He's bad at a dinner party. Well, depends the, on the party. Bad at a dinner party. Yeah. Good at a party. I think <laughs> um, he's the kind of guy yeah. where once they walk, once they show up with the fireworks and vodka, you should leave the party. But yes, up until then, it's fun. Yeah. And then you should leave because somebody's gonna gonna die. And then um, likewise with the hound, where I think the hound just does whatever he wants, <laughs> right? Yep. I think that's that's his thing. So he's like, you know, he looks at his brother and his brother who looks totally like when they take the mask off Darth Vader. Like that's there's there's a super weird pasty scarred eyes sort of sort of in that helmet. And he's like, I don't know what you are or whatever, but you know who's coming for you, brother. And yeah. and do we know is that did, is he has he vowed to kill his brother or is there some other kind of Clegane prophecy that I don't know I don't, about the I think about the mountain? He's just, I think he's just assuming like all of the fans are. Eventually, these two have to fight, right? They're the two biggest guys, right? Could be. There's a great shot later, by the way, where the mountain. We'll get to the, that scene, but I just mentioned it since we're talking about the mountain now, where he leads he leads Tyrion into Cersei's yeah. room, where it's like let's get the tallest guy on the show short of a giant and the shortest guy on the show and put them in a shot together. Let's do that. Let's just, let's do that. Just to heighten. You said the, the magic words. I saw Darth Vader's helmet so much in, uh, in his helmet in this scene with the way it was lit. Yeah. Oh, totally. He's it's yeah. Total Darth Vader helmet <sighs> thing. The zomb- zombie, uh, mountain. Also, when they get out, well, they're going to get out the zombie in a minute. And, and I'll say, since the mountain is a creation of Kyburn, right? Yep. That yes. when they open up the zombie, there is a great reaction shot of Kyburn, who's like, huh? Like, he's yeah. super yeah. into it. It's like, I had no idea. <laughs> this is really interesting. Because, I mean, he's he's created his own kind of zombie warrior, right? But uh, I like that he's like super intrigued by what this all means. That there's the zombie thing. Like, yeah. Just of course he's he the does. only one. He's the only one that wants to get closer to the zombie. Doctor, it's well, Doctor Frankenstein, and it's like you have mm-hmm. a monster in a box. Tell me more. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course. Speaking of, of monster in the box, did you with the way that they lingered on the box after he opened it? Did you expect the zombie to come out or be dead? Because I wholeheartedly expected it to be dead. Oh, no, definitely coming out. Yeah, jump scare. I expected Z- that that was all just... Zombies never come out. Yeah. Zombies don't come out when you are expecting them to. You open the door, <laughs> you go, guys, I think it's okay to go out. Boom. I'm going to very carefully... <laughs> <laughs> jump scare. You got to have a jump scare. And it's a good jump scare. And the, we get that uh, the zombie on a chain that they've gotten exactly the length so that it doesn't kill Cersei, <laughs> which is nice. That would have gone. It would have gone very different if it had not her face off right there. Um, you know, the mountain would have tried to like chop it, but the the head would have stayed gnawing on Cersei's face even longer, and that would have been a different way to go. So they got the chain length right. Good job, everybody. Um, they did the Walking Dead thing where they showed that even when it's sliced in half, it's still alive, and that proves it's supernatural. Well, it was choreographed, yep. right? Like, John, John comes out, and he's like, now, presenting the zombie, let me show you. You can set it on fire. You can chop it with dragon glass. These are things you can do. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course, Kyber. Examine the hand. Please do. Johnny Ive comes out. It's uh, this perfectly designed in my white room, this white walker. Yeah. <laughs> so, Cersei... I'm offering $200,000 for 20% of my zombie. What do you think? <laughs> Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. So, um, the, uh, the, the demo, 
I actually wrote down demo. <laughs> like that when the zombie comes out. <laughs> yep. It's like this is the Jon Snow um monsters are coming to kill us all demonstration and PowerPoint. We're, and 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 I like this cuz cuz he's like look, we aren't here for peace. I think Theon says we have a common enemy. Um Were you expecting him to say oh just one more thing and then really blow us away with a zombie app? <laughs> it's it's a murderous horde. It's an ancient evil. It's uh it it, it can't be stopped. Are you getting it yet? They're all it? the same thing. Um yeah. So after this demo, well, first off, what happens is you're on. Greyjoy says, um, "Oh, can they swim? Well, then I'm out of here. Uh, yep. <laughs> I am, ter- I am terrified. Goodbye." And I thought that's strange, strange choice. Sensible. Um, well, and, and then I thought, but they—he doesn't know they have a dragon that could fly to the Iron Islands and kill everybody. But okay, all right, fine, okay. Um, he, he leaves and that's left in the air. And, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I spent the next 20 minutes thinking, I don't know if I believe that you're on Greyjoy, <laughs> but you know, it was plausible at least that, that he would be like, I'm just going to let you all die. And uh, I wanted him to be pulling a hot pie where he'd be like, nope, checking out of the whole story. Sorry guys. It was <laughs> yeah. fun. Just going to stay alive. Instead. I have thoughts. We'll wait till later. Okay. Um, so Cersei says the crown accepts your truce. Um, until the de- dead are defeated, they're, they're the true enemy. If John will stay out and the North will stay out of the fight later. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> was what that was. <laughs> Could you elaborate? You have some objections? Of course. Cersei's the person to make this about house alliances again. Of this is, is most of my notes. This episode is, of course, Cersei. Come on, come on, Cersei. Come, come on, Cersei. Is most of my notes this episode? Does does she even mean it here? That's the thing. Is I think based on what happens in the rest of the story, that she's she's just jerking them around. I think. I think her whole plan is just how can she put them at the greatest disadvantage uh, possible, right? And even though, even though. She says later, and it's very clear, she is is struck by, you know, when the when the zombie comes out, that that she is threatened and her unborn child is threatened. That's absolutely true, and I believe it. And as Lauren said to me while we were watching this episode, she said, Cersei's always only cared about her kids and her family. She's done exactly. a very bad, bad job of it, by the way. Bad job, they're all dead. But um, But that's been her motivator all along. Why would we expect it to change now? She she doesn't care about anybody else but herself and her family. Well, so, she needs this truce because without it, King's Landing is just going to get burned to the, to the ground by a dragon. By dragons, right? So she needs yeah she she needs them to not attack her. Um, but I feel like since she's got the Iron Bank, Mark Gatiss has loaned her a lot of money, and she's got the Golden Company lined up, the mercenaries, and we already knew that. Um, that that was a, a strong suggestion that it seems to me that she's just trying to get as many concessions out of them as she can. Um, We're also yeah. uh, missing the, the what is arguably the catalyst for all this conflict the rest of the episode when uh, when Cersei says, I will only do this if uh, I can have a promise of Jon Snow's fealty to me. And Jon, ever the honest one, honest Abe, I get honest Jon. Just like his uh, dad, right? He, he, just like his dad. Yeah, everybody else is like, why? When, when someone asks you if you'll bend the knee, you say yes, right? That's what they're saying to John afterward. But he's like, no, I can't do it. Like, this, we have to, we have to trust each other. And I already pledged my loyalty to Daenerys. So um, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And uh, um, yeah. 
on one hand, I'm really surprised that they're more angry at John about it than they are at Cersei. They spend the rest of the episode trying to convince Cersei, but I feel like they are more upset at John for how this went down than Cersei, I think which confuses me. I think they're more angry that they didn't know, right? Like Tyrion, when they were planning all of this, one of the things that they didn't have a contingency for was they didn't know that John had agreed to bend the knee to Daenerys. That was not a fact they were aware of. They kept, you know, John and Daenerys kept them in the dark <laughs> Is that about what they're it? calling it? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Monty. Uh, yes. Well, that, that happens later. Um, but yes. So anyway, that's, I think it's, it's, you know, you don't want to be surprised. That's what I'm saying. Is I think they're upset because they're surprised. And, and uh, Tyrion says later, like, great, I would have advised you to do that. But <laughs> this leads <laughs> us in a, in a difficult state. It's also just, you know, it's, it's tough like, that, that he John gets put could on have just, John could have gone over to Daenerys and they could have had a private conversation where he would say, what do you think I should do here? And she would say, tell her whatever she wants. Yeah. But he, uh, well, also I'm not sure Jon Snow wants to be in a position of not taking side. So- let, let's see. Let's see. Uh, Daenerys is, we defeat the White Walkers. Daenerys is going to try to kill Cersei. John has an army at his disposal and he's going to sit it out. I mean, let's be honest. Cersei basically killed his dad and he really likes Daenerys, we'll say. Uh, yeah, he's not going to do that. So I feel like he's totally self-motivated here too it's not just about honor it's just like yeah i'm not gonna not take sides between you two i i'm taking sides and i get that that is not necessarily politically expedient you'd be better to lie about it but mm-hmm. but i i you know but that's john snow i feel like this like this is totally a john snow move which is like he's chosen his side he's not gonna lie about it he's chosen that's it if you you don't like it, lady, like because in the end, I know they need Cersei because they want to try to save humanity and all that. But but her request is is ludicrous, and and he's like, no, mm-mm, no, we're not going to do that. And I get that they're mad because they're they're all a little more calculated than John is, maybe. But I totally get where John's coming from, which is, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stay neutral between the two of you. I I chose a side, and it's not you, Cersei. <laughs> it's big surprise. It's not you. And I love that. Two quick things. They also, uh, th- this really upholds the stubborn problem woman trope of Cersei. And it, I, I know this is so in line with her character that it's a much larger conversation about Cersei's character over the last seven seasons and how problematic it is. But in this instance, it's very, oh, okay, we're, we're writing this, you know, this character to be this horrible person and have all the men go in and try to convince her with, like, I, I enjoyed the parallels between Tyrion and Jamie's scenes with mm. her. And I thought it was like a good moment, uh, to show who she really is. On the other hand, I also like the fact that, you know, this scene has happens and i expected this to be again in the very very final episodes of the show where they finally realize oh god there's this you know giant enemy we have to fight together let's see what we can do and the way that this is all plotted out and blocked and written makes both the white walkers and cersei the ultimate enemy which is something i've talked about a lot on this show is that none of this matters because of course the white walkers are coming so why are they spending so much time on cersei this is why because she is the final piece of the puzzle for them to have a good defense against the white walkers and i love that they were able to make both cersei and the white walkers great villains and it's not one or the other because one's not going to destroy the other immediately they both exist in tandem for us to think they're both the villains 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's the challenge is it, how do you clearly her Cersei's strategy here is bring in the mercenaries, keep her armies at home, let the goody goodies fight the monsters and whichever force comes south, she figures will be diminished. Although I think that's not true. Right. Also, she says they've got dragons. So I think they're totally going to be able to beat them because of course, if she's wrong, then both forces will be combined and attack them as zombies. But her strategy is let the, let the, them beat each other up and then I'll take, I'll take over at the end. That but seems her to be lie, her strategy. Her lie is only going to work for about a week. Yeah. Like they're going to notice very quickly that the Lannister forces did not march north the way she said they were going to. Right, but are they are they gonna are they gonna stop trying to save the world at that point? I I don't know. I was surprised that Cersei. So so um, we haven't even gotten to the the scene that with Cersei and Jaime. Um, but uh, in that scene, uh, one of the things that that she says to Jaime is basically like, "Come on, you knucklehead! I'm not going to send." I'm not going to actually fulfill my obligations. <laughs> Are you, you're so dumb. And I thought to myself, wouldn't the right play be to send a token force and say, no, no, this is the Lannister army. Totally the Lannister army. Yeah. And like have send it be a the Lannister sham. army. Right. Send up some Lannister army and don't tell them, oh, I bought a much bigger army. I didn't send north. Yeah. Yeah, just and, and and go through the motions of it, and maybe maybe that is part of the plan. And it's off screen, and and that you know, and but but I I kind of expected her to say that to Jamie is no, we'll send you know I'm not going to send you. We'll send you know some house that's that's tied to us that I hate, and we'll send them up there, and we'll we'll claim that it's Lannister, and we'll get some people out of out of uh, King's Landing, and we'll put them in Lannister cloaks, and we'll send them up, and we'll say that they're uh, our army, but we're not going to send anybody good up there because that's not you know it's a it's a sham not like we're just not going to send anybody i don't know about that so um so among, among the things that happened that we haven't talked about yet uh there's a very quick scene where brienne basically stops jamie and says um this this needs to stop this we need to save humanity here and oh, she that says was crazy and she says and this mm-hmm. is brienne who has spent like years following an oath to catelyn stark she says f loyalty this goes yeah. beyond houses and honor and oaths to jamie and jamie knows how crazy that is coming from Brienne, right? How serious so she is big. about honor and oaths. And I he looks shaken, right? Like if there anybody's ever going to get through to Jamie, that's it. And you know what? That that is part of I think the reason why he does what he does at the end of the episode, which is leave and head north basically. Um that this is bigger than uh houses and honor and oaths but that's a great moment and you have to know brienne's history for it to really land but it's such a great moment i wish john had said that i wish that after nope i'm not uh swearing fealty to you comma and if you understand how important this is you will understand why and put this behind us and we will fight i i, I wish that john had <laughs> said what brienne said and of course it gives brienne a really great moment but of course i'm the person that wants well, everything as expedient as possible <laughs> i didn't think cersei asked john to bend the knee to her i thought she just said stay out be of the it. king in the north don't take either side and we'll fight and it out down here and then you'll bend the knee to whoever wins is basically yeah. i think what she was saying yeah mm-hmm. which is what the tr- traditionally the king in the north would do but he wouldn't even promise to do that because he's dumb. Yeah. Um. So we get two great scenes with Cersei and her brothers. Uh, but before that, the two brothers talk. 
and they have a they have a pretty good scene. Um and and there's the uh well, I mean, back it up even further, that's like uh um I I need to go talk to her. And he says to Jon Snow, she'll definitely murder you. That's a great moment. It's like, I don't want her to murder me. She will totally murder you. She is the most murderous person in the world. Um, Jamie says goodbye. Basically, one idiot to another. We're the, you know, the idiot brothers here. I like that because the last time we saw Jamie and Tyrion, Jamie was so angry at Tyrion. Yeah. And now eh, I'm starting to feel better towards you. So I got to be honest. This episode with the Lannisters did not go. I was wondering how they were going to, what was next season going to be? And I had a thought that in this episode, I, I really thought that what was going to happen is Jamie was going to witness Cersei basically reneging on all of this and, and take out Cersei. But I thought so too. But the mountains there. <laughs> And he's got mm. one hand, and it doesn't happen. But it, what does happen is that he walks out on her. Yeah. And, and and she says, you know, nobody walks out on me. And he's like, I don't believe you. And he leaves. Um, and then Batyrian has his super intense scene with her, too, which is yeah. which is really tough, but I thought it was really good. Um, and he, you know, he, he does the go ahead and kill me. You wanted to kill me. You've said it. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. And I think there's that's part of... Uh, gambit by Tyrion. It's also Tyrion's complete um, self-destructiveness, um, realizing that he is guilty, you know, in some way responsible for the deaths of his uh, his niece and nephew. Now, hold on. Yeah. It's pretty rich for Cersei to blame Tyrion for Tommen's death. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. But I appreciate that Tyrion was at very, at the very least able to... And okay, fine. We're going to play in your oh. world. We're going to play in your world. I'm going to work with these rules. I, I am responsible for this. Fine. I, I think that you could you could get behind the premise, if you're Tyrion especially, that Cersei's premise there is basically that the, that the Sparrow, the High Sparrow and his people were what happened when there was a power vacuum because their father died. I, I, you know, yeah, but if anyone killed Tommen, it was Cersei. Oh, it totally is. Her argument is that is that the act of killing uh, their father was Tywin. the thing. Yeah, Tywin Lannister was the thing that caused all those other bad things to happen it doesn't absolve her at all but basically she's saying like this all of that terrible stuff with the sparrows and everything happened because of the power vacuum that you created here and he basically owns that and he's like yeah you know yeah i did it but well, i'm going to suggest that maybe the power vacuum caused by killing robert baratheon with a spear might have had mm, something to do with maybe. it maybe yeah you think so there are a lot of people at fault <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Littlefinger too. What about Littlefinger? Let's get him in on this. Oh, uh, sure. he's not available. It turns out. Um, anyway, he. I, what I lo- like also when he's like, "Go ahead and kill me," and she doesn't do it because again, both the brothers basically say, "Go ahead, do it. Kill, kill your brother." And Cersei doesn't do it both times because hard to kill your siblings. Hard to kill your siblings. But what what uh, what I love is that Tyrion then immediately walks over to the pitcher of wine and pours himself a drink and drinks it and then pours another drink and he hands it to her and or puts it on her desk and then pours another drink. It's like, that was, that's some, that's some good Tyrion. It's like, all right, now that we've gone through that. I like that even though she hates him later on, she tells Jamie, you were always the dumbest Lannister. Oh yeah. She knows how smart he is. She just doesn't like him. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's she knows how smart he is, and she knows what a what a, a dangerous person he can be. Um, 
Y'all said something earlier about uh, Cersei feeling like, okay, she's in this position of power. She's just jerking them around at this point. I disagree because of this scene. I feel like this is the most raw we've seen Cersei in a while. And there are times where she goes into full mother mode. Again, problematic. But she goes into this mode where she's like, family is the only thing that matters to me. I'm going to do anything it takes to protect my family. And she does the same thing here, which leads me to believe that everything she says, uh, she said out there on the... uh, in the Coliseum was true that she really just wants to protect herself and her family and screw everyone else. Yeah. Well, there's that, that back and forth where it's basically like, maybe you should get on a boat. (laughs) Maybe, you know, maybe you should take your family and get on a boat and run away. Like your own Greyjoy did. And, and yeah, maybe he was right. Who knows? (laughs) And, and, uh, Tyrion realizes she's pregnant. Um, you know, she admits being affected by the zombie, but not seeing like, I want to save the world. And she says at one point in that scene, it's really good. It's like where she's saying, why Daenerys? It's like, I think she can make the world a better, better place. And uh, Cersei says, I don't want to make yeah. the world a better place. I mean, it's just very clear. It's like, she doesn't care. And that's it. That whole, that whole line that they've been pushing through Daenerys and Tyrion is just completely unconvincing to me. All of their talk about how she's going to stop the wheel. Well, well, that's she's uh, not going to stop the wheel. She's going to be queen with her dragons because she is the heir to the throne. That's not stopping the wheel. <laughs> it's like that's a how nicer, the wheel works. It's like a nicer wheel. It's like a she's going to start the the better wheel from. Well, one of the things that I really liked about Cersei in that in that moment in her conversation with Tyrion is that she calls them on it. She's like, oh, so she's going to make the world a better place, but you had to stop her from melting King's Landing and killing a million yeah. people, right? It's like, well, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm, that's right. Like, the world this is not a- quite as clear as you might make it out to be. Maybe melting King's Landing would be a good thing. Get rid of this throne, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. She says, I think she'll make the world a better place. You said she destroyed King's Landing. Well, yeah. That's what part of what making the world a better place is murdering all of these innocent all these innocent townsfolk that were cheering Euron Greyjoy a couple of weeks ago as he dragged women through the streets. Yeah, let's melt them. Just do it. Um all right. Let's see what else happens in this in this little block. Uh John and Daenerys have a uh a conversation while they're waiting. Um, adorable little jawbone from a tiny dragon tiny dragon like okay right because there's that whole thing about how the the basically the targaryens were um you know she doesn't want to restore what they were because they were messed up and broken and the they they tied up their dragons and made little until they were little like the size of dogs smaller than dogs (gasps) Wouldn't this be make cute? a million dollars with one of those cute little dragons. I know, right? So, so uh, Tyrion comes back, and Cersei comes back, and she says, "This is where she says my armies will march with you to fight the Great War, and maybe you'll remember." She promises marching, so maybe she's going to send out like the marching squad or like a dr- like drummers to help them march. She specifically yelled at Jamie for making any plans to send people north. Yeah, I know. Well, again, this is my question: is that you, you gotta you gotta fake it a little bit? So, all right, that leaves us. We got a, We got a, a couple scenes left. Three scenes left in Dragonstone. Back in Dragonstone again. How long did it take for them to get back there? Let's not worry about it. It's really close to King's Landing. It's <laughs> yeah, right on the other side of the yeah. Bay. It's just an island on the other side of the Blackwater, right? Um, Blackwater Bay. Uh, okay, how do we go there? They decide to sail to White Harbor because that gives uh, that gives John and uh, and Daenerys some uh, 
some boat Wink. time together. And she doesn't want to come as a conqueror. She wants to come as a I don't I don't come to conquer the north. I come to save the north. Yes. Save, mm-hmm. save and then, the uh, north. Jora Mormont ch- catches the way they're looking at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's a profile shot of John in the scene where he looks exactly like Adam Driver. And I was really confused for a second. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? what's going on? Oh, okay. It, it was John. this really weird moment where like, hit, the light hit his face in just the right way. And he was turned just enough that all you could see was his jaw and like his ear. And he looked exactly like Adam Driver in that moment. <laughs> Can I say, I know we've passed the uh, scenes where it's most relevant, but I love having so many people in the same room. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, Team Daenerys is filling up this room with known characters, and when they were talking to Team Cersei, so many people that have worked on the same show for years and never had a scene together were finally together. I thought that was really fun. Well, Missandei has like one line, I think, but I'm not sure Varys. Does Varys have a line in this episode? But he's in it a lot. and He does have a line, but I don't remember what he said. But it's yeah, ba- me neither. But he says something. But basically, like, but he's there, and we know he's there. And when they, the Onion Knight doesn't say very much, but he's there. And like, all these characters that we know are present in these scenes. And in the, in the little bonus material they do after the episode, one of the things that they said was, especially for the stuff in the draft, dragon uh, palace thing whatever it was that they did that they spent a long time shooting there and one of the reasons is they had to get all of those shots where like somebody looks across the whole you know across 50 feet or whatever at somebody else and there's a focus and you can see that they're looking at each other and like they needed to get all of those shots but they take great care and you, and they take the time and you see people's reactions to each other and uh and it's really well done um, it's not like that last season of Arrested Development where half the people are clearly green screened in because yes. they only had two days to work on this show. Because <laughs> they weren't there together. Exactly right. Um, so then there's a scene with John and Theon, which again is like bringing back uh, the memory of Ned Stark where where uh, uh, John basically lets Theon off the hook and says, I can't forgive you for everything, but I can, what I can, I, I do. Um, and, and he says, our father is a part of you and me. You don't need to choose. You're a Stark and a Greyjoy. Um, and and he says, my sister is, you know, captive. And he says, well, what are you waiting for? <laughs> like, why are you still here? Yeah. And he goes off. And it's nice. It's like a little John, little pep talk. We don't have pep talks in Game of Thrones enough. This well, is uh, John giving uh, Theon the, the big pep talk. Well, it's an important pep talk, too, because it shows that John believes that your father is the person who raised you, not necessarily the person. Yeah. Who uh, your gene- whose genetic material you share? Yeah, well, this is a bastard, which, a bastard, and a ward, and he says our father, right? Ned right. is their father. But it's not what I'm saying. It's not a bastard. Pretty early in the next season, John's going to have to come to terms yes. with something. But he's already decided, regardless of who your biological father is, you can still be somebody else's son. Oh, you got it. You're you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Little does he know. Um. No what? <laughs> <laughs> nothing important. Nothing. Never mind. Uh, so what does Theon do? He goes down to the beach where that jerky guy who says he's a coward <laughs> is standing, and 
and uh, says, we're just going to go find an island somewhere and kill all the men and take all their wives and, again, smelly pirates. And and, uh, Theon's like, no, we got to go get Yara. And he's like, no, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Just stay, stay down or I'll kill you. And Theon... Uh, Theon, not having parts between his legs anymore, saves the day because yeah. that's where he gets kicked and there's no response. And then he goes nuts and kills the guy. And, <laughs> t- and, 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 uh, ah, uh, anyway, yeah. So, it, Ironborn. I think this scene happened in Cool Hand Luke, too. <laughs> <laughs> this was a weird scene. It was a good Smelly character Pirates. moment for Theon, who is finally coming into his own as somebody who has agency and isn't just being pushed around anymore. Uh, I, I felt that when like, he was in the background of a bunch of scenes just kind of watching things happen and I, I, I kind of felt bad for him after all the things he'd been through this entire series and here he is kind of coming into his own and really owning the fact that he's been castrated to win this fight yep. in this really weird way. Like, I, it makes no sense to me why he would have stopped and be like, huh? Yeah. You, you, what? And then <laughs> like he turns around and wins the fight. Well, that was not- weird. It's not like but I liked it. Like the kick when he's kicking him in the crotch. Like I almost expected there to be like a sound effect, like a boy yeah. or something. Like what? But what? That's huh? And, but I th- yeah. see. I thought they might do that, but I really thought they were just going to do the straight cool hand Luke, where he impresses everybody with his willingness to keep getting beat up and standing back up again. Right. Which and I think Indiana Jones and shoots them both. But instead, he. Uh, he just turns the tables and kills the guy and then it's like all right yeah. let's go get let's go get my sister back which is uh it's good theon you know this is the story with theon is that he has a lot to uh a lot to repent for and he he fell far and now is coming back up the other side in fact it's funny we were talking about uh sansa and Arya earlier i was going to say remember back last year and and i think especially two years ago when things were really dark and unpleasant on this show and um I think I said at some point, like, I see where this show is going and I think we've reached the bottom and now we're kind of, we, they, what they need is to have the characters be on the upswing where they've had their darkest moments and now there, there are things are going to start going right for them. And that Arya Sansa thing with Littlefinger, right? That's one of those things where, um, it was on the upswing, like, they they got Littlefinger, and I feel like this is. It's not like there aren't going to be lots of things that happen in the last season where char- characters get killed and bad things happen and all of that. But like the shape of the story is on the upswing because two years ago, what would have happened in that scene if that it had existed with Arya and Sansa and Littlefinger is the worst possible thing would have happened. But we're not at that point in the story now. So for Theon, same way, Theon is on the upswing now. He is, he is, you know, he is trying to put it back together and. It, it, at the very least, he's going to make a noble sacrifice, uh, but he's going to he's going to be um, in a better place now, and that's because of where we are in the story. I think the show I, has trained me to expect the worst constantly, and I feel right. like this scene in particular has made me really think about where the show is going and how things maybe not positively, but at the very least, we're not going to be crushed as fans of the show. Yeah, well, I mean, they killed Littlefinger, right? That is also one of those things where, like I said, I feel like two years ago, we would all, we've all been trained for it to be the, expect the worst. How's he going to get out of this? What terrible things he going to do? And the answer is no, no, they got him. He's dead. They got him. The good, the good people got the bad guy. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's because we've had you know, many years of the terrible thing happening that now we get these moments where, oh, good that was good theon's theon's back in it great like i 
I really liked how the Ironborn didn't interfere at all. No. That felt true to them. Oh, yeah. Where they were like, all, all right, right, let's see how this works out. Leadership oh, you struggle. Won? Yeah, you all won. Right. You're the guy. Great. Let's do it. Let's go. Yep. Smelly pirates. This is neither here nor there, but it's always weirded me out that, like, guy code is always, oh, let these two people have their fight, and we'll come in at the end and do whatever needs to be done after. But let's let them have the fight, and this happened here. This isn't a guy code thing. I think this is uh, true to their whole drowned god philosophy, where to get a new king, they actually drown them, and then we stand back, and, well, if you survive, you can be king. That that was like this. Well, Theon, maybe we'll do what you say, but uh, this guy disagrees. Let's see what you do about it. Huh. Okay, let's go. Yeah, it's like the pirate code. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. The pirate codes are more like guidelines. All right. Um, so the the uh, Jamie Searcy scene where uh, he says, I'm getting ready to go north. And she says, are you a traitor? We're not going north. We stayed here. Um, and he's like... She's got two drag. She's got two drag. She got or she's got dragons, and she's she says. And this, I was expecting this earlier, and it happens here. She's like, she had two dragons. Didn't she have three dragons? Where was the third dragon? He's like, oh, maybe it was offshore. Uh, why? And then she's like, but 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 mm-mm. Yep. something and that happened. Reminds me, we can the get unsullied, those dragons. The unsullied are going to need to change their brooch because they have a cool three dragon symbol for Daenerys. Yeah, they'll need like a black armband or something. I just cross one of the dragons off. Okay. Yeah, I could do that. A little masking tape, a little electrical tape, something like that. Well, it's going to be awkward once that dragon is fighting you. Because she says, all right, so Euron didn't abandon us. He still wants to marry me. He's going across to Essos to bring the Golden Company back here because we got the Iron Bank. We got the money from them. Um, and he's like, this is madness. We need to do this. And she says, that's treason. Nobody walks away. And he says... Uh, give the order then. I don't believe you. And he walks out. And in a scene that... Um, that uh i it made me laugh in a really appreciative way he is outside the walls he's going to head north against his sister's wishes he's putting his like gloves on and covering up his gold hand and all of that <laughs> now why does a gold hand need a glove oh i think to to hide his identity actually is the reason that was that was okay. how i took that is that he's going kind of under Sold. undercover and a snowflake lands on it and and you look and the snow is falling outside King's Landing and it's like yeah that's right it's winter you got it and I liked I liked that it's like winter's gonna come for all of you eventually and off goes <laughs> off goes Jamie too who knows what find Brienne is he gonna where's Bronn we don't know he's going off to season eight and uh, we'll find out but he's he's leaving his sister and that's really interesting but God you know. It was time. It was beyond time. It was way past time. Maybe now he could be Kingslayer against the Night King. I don't <gasps> see how, but maybe. <laughs> maybe. Get him, a, get him a nice Valerian steel, steel sword and see what happens. Yeah. Twice this episode, Cersei's brothers have challenged her to kill them. Yes. And it was amazing to watch, you know, both things happen. And as Jamie storms out and says, I don't believe you, and storms out, I loved the shot of her alone with Gregor over a map of Westeros, completely alone with this blank look on her face, how far has she pushed her brothers in the name of, quote, her family? Yep. It's great. It was a really great, like, shot framing moment where we get to see where Cersei ends this season completely alone. I loved it. She's not alone. She has a mute monster and oh, he a weird count. scientist guy. Oh, he doesn't count. Kyburn counts. Oh, he doesn't count. He counts hot. He counts doesn't count very high. He can't count very high. 
All right, last... He can count to 15 with uh, two of his own hands and the one zombie hand. So last scene... No, they set the zombie hand on fire and you lost that. Last scene uh, is... I feel like... There are two more scenes. One at Winterfell and one at Eastwatch. Well, okay, so Bran is sitting outside with his gl- white eyes seeing <laughs> something. He's watching the All last right. scene that we're watching. <laughs> okay. Uh, you'll allow it? Okay. And, and then he, I think I just wanted to talk about Sam coming to Winterfell and talking to Bran again. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, anything more to say about Sam? No, I'm done. Okay. I'm sorry. Go on. Um, so this is the scene that if you had asked me, like, imagine what the last scene of, of the penultimate season of, of Game of Thrones is going to be earlier this year. I probably would have said this, which is the wall comes down. Like, we got to have that moment. We've been, we've been, they've been talking about Eastwatch and the army marching past the, uh, the Arrowhead mountain and all of that from the beginning of this season. And if you're going to have that final season where all of the stuff has to go on to, to resolve this story, it would seem to me that you finally need to get that moment when the wall came down and then they got the dragon last week. So it was like, all right. And it did not, they did not fail to deliver at that, which is... Tormund and Beric are looking out over the wall at Eastwatch and the dead army appears and then they stop with some distance and the Night King riding on a zombie dragon who's got kind of some holes in its wings blasting blue fire (laughs) smashes down the wall at Eastwatch so that the armies of the dead can march into the north and that's how season seven ends and I thought I thought yeah that's about right things are gonna get real um what's gonna happen next but like that's a good that's a good way to end it to say now it now it ends this is uh, this is happening now we have put it off long enough incredible scene yeah i'm always here for dragons busting stuff up yeah and and it's only fair to give the bad guys their own zombie or their own dragon yeah in fact to make things totally fair i think cersei should have one of those extra dragons but that's probably not going to happen probably not I, uh, I I was a little anno- not annoyed. This is the wrong word, but it seems like they've been ratcheting up the White Walker army this entire time, every single season. And uh, my my initial thought was every season has ended with uh, the White Walker army amassing. Mm. And I went and watched every single ending for every single season. And then wait, nope, nope. It was only season two that ended ultimately with uh, White Walker army amassing. Everything else was mostly dragons. But I feel like this is a good payoff for. Uh, like you're right as you said, them finally making some kind of progress. I also disagree with you, Jason, about the wall. I didn't expect the wall to come down. I thought at this point it was mostly ceremonial because we've seen their armies amass this whole series. And... I, I I was always wondering what was stopping them because it didn't seem to me like it was the wall. They could just like go through oh, the no. different gates. All right. Okay. I, I think it's been said in the past that the wall was built to keep out the armies of the dead. Like that was its purpose. It was. Supposed to have supposed to have magical, magical wards encha- inside enchantments, it and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. It seemed like it wasn't so much the Night's Watch that was keeping them away as it was just them not wanting to yet. And I don't know, like, this is probably me being myopic about the uh, about the fact that this dragon is actually here and, like, Mr. Gorbachev t- tear down this wall. But I really appreciate that this was where they ratcheted up enough that, okay, this is actually happening next season. The last season of Game of, of, Game of Thrones is going to be this battle, finally, after yeah. we've seen them amass this entire time. Yeah. 
Well, the wall, yeah, definitely the wall had to come down. I think that was, I think that was something that was pretty clear is like the wall is, is this first one of the first things we see in the show, right? Is this ridiculous, you know, incredibly huge wall of ice and it's there to keep the, the monsters out from the north. And so this is that moment where now the wall, at least this part by Eastwatch, but that's all they need to get across. And they've, that's why they've been amassing all this time is they've had to get all the, all the dead creatures from the north and bring them all the way over to the east blast a hole in the wall and then pour in and so here they here they come so game on right for season they actually seven added to east they've added east watch to the uh places we zoom in it on yeah. and the opening credits and i can't wait to see what that looks like next season <laughs> yeah the wall i feel that i concede i just thought the wall was more ceremonial than anything oh. else at this point seven seasons in well, apparently not. They needed to they needed to blow it down <laughs> with a dragon. And so they did. Hey, did either of you want to talk about John and Danny getting together? Oh, Wait, oh yeah. So um so while Sam is giving his uh his thing talking to Bran about uh Robert's rebellion and who John's identity is, we should probably mention that while that's going on in voiceover, uh John comes to Daenerys's cabin on the boat. Uh, this boat is rocking. Don't come a knocking. They close the door and then uh, they totally do it. And uh, they've been waiting to do that for a while now. And so we find out that they're uh, aunt and nephew as they're uh, having sex. So my one yeah. wish for this entire season, please don't do it. Just please, please don't do it. I'm sick of the incest. And here we have it. It's and a, it's, it's a long terrible. Targaryen tradition. It, it is. It's a You're Targaryen putting tra- your cultural norms on a different culture. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're not, <laughs> okay. they're not that closely related. I mean, they're, they're that, you know, just a little. Okay. <laughs> and they don't, they don't know it. Although I, I, I think it will be interesting how the show addresses it because, yeah. I th- that's the question is like I would like to believe actually that in the in the culture of Game of Thrones given the long history of incest in the Targaryens who ruled this co- this country for so long that it's not it should not be a big deal but I, I know think it's John a big will be I think John's freaked out Daenerys isn't Yeah well I think we it's a bigger deal for us if it's pointed out than it is for anyone else. So I think they're going to have to address it in the show. Like, well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. That means that, that, you know, you're, you're his aunt and he's your nephew and every and then they say, well, you know, the Targaryens well, ruled the, this place for a thousand years and nobody cared. That was, that was clo- That's far enough away. They're not brother and sister. It's fine. Uh, well, but they may it, have to address it. They have to address it, and here's why. They've made a huge deal out of Jamie and Cersei through the entire run of the show. Right. And the only reason I know that Targaryens have a history of doing it is because it was mentioned in the books, and people on the internet have brought it up over and over and has over it, again. Has it not been mentioned at all in the show that the Targaryens I think it might have been mentioned once when Daenerys said that one of her dead brothers is the one she thought she was going to be married to. Or she could have been married uh, to or something. But hmm. there's just not enough living Targaryens for it to really come up. If you're watching the show, you're not spending a lot of time digging through the genealogical charts in the back of the book. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Well, there, there's also the fact that if this is done over the voiceover of uh, Bran and Sam talking about this, how does the show expect us as the audience to feel? Are they yeah. expecting us to be happy about this? Because I'm not. I don't think they're expecting people to be happy, but are, are they expecting... This is like one of the last things of 
the season. Is this something that's supposed to be big and exciting and yay? Or is it supposed to be like, uh oh, what's going to happen next season? And based on the show, the way the show did it, I don't think it's either. I think. I thought we were just supposed to be looking at Kit Harrington's butt. Yeah, that's probably true. And I think the other (laughs) piece, uh, you know, without getting hung up uh, anymore on the on the fact that they're related. Um, I think the fact that John is the rightful, uh, King (laughs) instead of Daenerys, I think that's the (laughs) twist that we're supposed to be like, Oh, huh. Like he actually has more of a claim to the throne than she does. And they're together. So there is that thought of like, doesn't matter that much if they're a really great team. King in the North. I think she likes being queen. I think she likes being in charge, right? I think she really likes that. But I think it's a, I think it's an interesting dynamic for them to process, right? That they've got this relationship and they're going to find out that there's this other thing going on. And uh, maybe it's not going to matter in the moment because they have to they have to join forces and fight the forces of darkness and it's, you know, so deal with it later, but it's an interesting question. It may also suggest that, uh, you know, will they, will they both make it out, uh, alive? Who knows? Um, it's a good question, but the, you know, the series is called song of ice and fire, right? And we got icy North and fiery dragons and we've got, uh, the King in the North and we've got the dragon queen and it's all, you know, been building to this. So it'll be interesting to see what the, what the fallout is regardless. But I took it as mm-hmm. more that he's the, I think it was a bigger deal that he's the heir to the throne than it is that they're related. I, don't know. I feel that. I feel that. What else? Anything else we should mention before we end this? Because this is it. We're done. I thought it was a great season finale. I enjoyed the entire episode, and I'm really looking forward to the final season whenever it actually comes out. Yes. I don't know if they've said. I think I think all we really know is that it will be late 2018 or 2019 it wouldn't surprise me if it was 2019 to be honest i would prefer it in the summer or fall of of uh of 2018 but they haven't said i think when they're going to uh when they're going to do it what the what the current plan is and of course this was more than a year between seasons so they may given the scope and you know who knows how these you know last episodes go i don't know if they've got all those episodes written yet and they know that they're going to be certain lengths or if they just have a plot points or what what the deal (laughs) is with that let me ask you this how many books will it take to get from the end of the last book just to where we are now. Assuming oh boy. that all the plot points are the same, showrunners are not making stuff up. Oh, no. Two. Okay. Two, which means it'll be like 10, 15 years. But uh, yeah. by the time, the brilliance thing of it is, by the time George R.R. R. Martin writes these books, we will have forgotten what happened in the show. <laughs> it'll be like somebody writing a novelization of mash yeah like did that happen all right okay i've been watching this show since it started and i've never read any of the books we are two seasons now off of the books and even though again we're two seasons away from where the books ended and where i have been going blind into where everyone else has known I have never felt like more of a fan of Game of Thrones and more engaged in a fandom. You know, doing a podcast about it aside, going on Reddit about it aside, I feel like <laughs> I've never been more of 
a part of this fandom than I have tonight watching this episode and talking about it with you two. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my excitement about season eight, about the actual ending of the show, because I've never actually thought about the fact that there will someday be no more Game of Thrones. But tonight, I've never felt more like I've been engaged in this world that they've made for the small screen. And I am so grateful for that. And as angry as I am about a few different things in this episode, I still love that I feel these emotions about a TV show. I think uh, I'm looking forward to the end, not because I will be happy that the show is over, but because I will be happy that the sh- the story got an ending and that the-, the producers are guiding it to the end that they want to have at the time that they want to have it because they could keep going. They could have said 10 episodes this year, 10 episodes next year, 10 episodes the year after that. And they didn't. They said, this is what we've got our story. We know where it's ending. We're going to take you to the end. And I'm happy about that because this is a show I really love. And we're also going to do... And we're also going to do six spinoffs or something? Well, they, they they basically said that they're, they've got like six different groups of people who are writing potential like prequels and other <laughs> things set in this world. But I, I, I'm not sure I would bet money that any of those will ever come yeah. to fruition. But yeah, they, I agree. They, put some, they put some money down. Like, why not? I think you would be foolish if you're HBO not to investigate that. Like, you know, uh, George R. R. Martin did the Dunkin' Egg stories too, which are about... Um, about uh, Egon Targaryen, actually, when he was a young boy before he went to the wall. Um, and, uh, you know, there's there's stuff in that world. It's a rich world. It's a little like saying like Marvel Comics or, or Star Trek or something like that. Like there are other stories probably to tell in that setting if they want to. So if I'm HBO, I would probably pay some writers to see if any great ideas pop out. But I'm not sure I put any money down that they'll actually do that. I don't know. Um, nobody really knows whether it's going to be end of a- end of eighteen or early nineteen. So we'll see. I wouldn't bet on twenty eighteen. I'm not sure I would bet on that, but I hope I hope it comes in a year or so. I hope so too. I hope it is at a convenient time of the year for other stuff. <laughs> yeah, here's what I hope more than anything else. Just for like, I don't want to be I don't want to be in a total party kill at the same time as Game of Thrones. I, oh, that was me. I, I've done so many total party kills before this and, these episodes this year. And let me tell you, what I don't want is I don't want <laughs> the new season of Doctor Who to premiere Ooh, simultaneously yeah. with the new season of Game of Thrones because I flashcast both of those. Oh, I love that. Let's go head to head, and both that on would the same murder day. Me. Who wins? Well, no, it'd be one would be Saturday night and one would be Sunday night. Oof. So my weekend would be completely gone. Anyway, li- dear listeners, you don't need to care about these things. <laughs> <laughs> if I be- if I have a mel- meltdown next fall because Game of Thrones and Doctor Who are airing the same weekend, that's my problem, not yours. Um, but it has been, I'm sorry that it wasn't 10 weeks, but it has been a pleasure for the last seven weeks, except for the two that I missed, to talk to <laughs> all of you out there and to talk to these two wonderful fellows who have joined me here. Monty, Ashley, thank you. It's been a pleasure, Jason. It definitely has been. And Brian Hamilton, thank you so much for going on this journey with us, too. I suppose we should say goodbye, one idiot to another. Yes, indeed. I mean, wait, what? No, I, I, I'm, you're not an idiot. I'm just reading what was said in front of it's me. Don't just, me. I'm just reading what's on the card. It's fine. And uh, there are many I'm other Ron Burgundy. There are many other flash casts on the TV podcast. If you have not listened, uh, you should check it out. Ooh. Theincomparable.com slash TV. There are others, and there are many other podcasts at theincomparable.com that you could listen to about other things that uh, are not Game of Thrones. Uh, next week's edition of The Incomparable should be a season overall wrap up talking more about game of thrones if you want more to listen to and if you want more flashcasts with me i think 
I think you in about a month. I uh, it, much as it, I hesitate. This to, plug is really falling apart. I, much as I hesitate <laughs> to commit to it, I think you may hear from me and Scott McNulty a little bit about Star Trek Discovery in a month. But we'll see. We'll see. But that's it for Game of Thrones until next year, question mark, when we'll be back for six more, I guess, and then we will be done. Uh, unless, uh, when, when would we start the rewatch? When are we going to do that? Maybe we'll have to do that at some point. I don't know. By the way, if it is starting in about a year, you should just start from the beginning of the series now. Watch one episode a week, and you'll be roughly caught up by the time the uh, show comes back for its last season. If you want to do that. It's my other prescription to all of you. All right. We're done. Thank you. Thank you for listening this season. We'll see you in the future. Bye-bye.